this is one of the most famous stories in the world. Absolutely. The scriptures have gone everywhere. And this is one of the stories that Sunday school teachers tend to come back to every third Sunday with the kids because it's got a battle scene and someone's head gets chopped off so all the boys are at least interested in it. I actually even wrote a song for my kids based on this, which they love. It's their most requested song that I never sing for them. But we're going to go through it again because when a story gets really famous, um, it's, it's sometimes the actual meaning of it gets a bit lost. And when sports commentators and people talk about a David and Goliath situation, they're usually talking about a story of a small guy or a small team defeating the person that everybody thought was going to win. So when the Jets finally get another cup, it'll be a David and Goliath moment because no one will have thought that a team from Winnipeg could defeat a real team. You know, that's the underlining idea there. But the story of David and Goliath isn't actually about David defeating a giant or a little guy defeating a giant. It's about the living God defeating a giant. That's the point. This is a story about the living God defeating a giant. So I'm going to read a verse, which is kind of my key verse from this this uh, chapter, and then we will uh, go from there. This is David talking to Saul, and he says this, Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Father, I just pray for your help today. Father, as... Um, you know all of my needs. You know where I'm at. Father, you know the entire life and all of the generations of every single person sitting here and everybody who might listen to this online. Lord, Lord, you know us inside and out. And you discern our thoughts from afar. So God, you know everything. And Father, you are the living God. Nothing binds you. Nothing restrains you. Nothing holds you back. You aren't just an idea, and your word isn't just a philosophy or a list of commands. It is the revelation of the living God, who is active and here. Father, you prove that you're the living God by raising your son Jesus from the dead. He was literally dead and now is literally alive, and ruling over human history from the throne of heaven. And you sent your Holy Spirit, who is the spirit of life, to be in your church and in each Christian to be the presence of the living God with us. And so, God, I pray as we walk through this passage, you would exalt yourself and that you'd raise our faith and we would would love you and know you and trust you as the God who is alive in our lives as a church and as individuals and as families as well. And I ask these things for your glory so that great testimonies would be heard in our generation and in those to come. And all God's people said... Amen. So I want to look at this story actually through the hearts of three individuals. I want to look at uh, a guy named Eliab. I want to look at Saul and I want to look at David and how they respond. This story isn't so much about the blood and guts of a battle. So if, if when we retell these stories, if we did, I haven't watched a David and Goliath story, we would 
typically in our culture emphasize the battle scene, right? It would be 20 minutes long and um, there'd be an explosion or two. Somehow, you know, someone would throw a spear and it would explode because it's not, you're not having fun unless something's blowing up when you're sitting in a movie theater. And, um, you know, it wouldn't just be like David throws something and it's over. There would have to be like fisticuffs and body slams and David would actually have to be like knocked down and then they'd have the slow motion scene where David looks up and he sees his girlfriend and she's like, get up, rock! And then he's like, and then he gets up and then acts like he's never been hit before in his life and just wails on the giant, knocks him down. And then that's how we like it, right? We like the, the, the battle scene. We like the violence. Um, in the scriptures, it's actually just a couple of verses. And David put his hand into his bag and took a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. And the stone sank, in, sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. That's the, that's the battle. But it's a long chapter. And the chapter is about people's hearts. People's responses to the situation. That's the important thing. Whatever is going on in your life, the most important thing is your heart and where it is at, and particularly where your heart is at when it comes to faith in the living God. So what's the background? Well, the background is that there's this humongous giant opposing the armies of Israel. They're um, at the top of a valley with each army on each side, and you, with the idea being that you know they would fight in the middle someday, supposedly. And the Philistines are on one side. They're at the border of Judah, which is where David lives, which is why he's able to move back and forth. And, and so you see this army, these two armies there, and there's this giant who comes out and taunts the Israelites. But there's more background to this, okay? So Goliath is a Philistine, and he's a Philistine in the Promised Land, which is kind of not supposed to happen. And the background is that God led the Israelites into the promised land through Joshua, but they didn't fully take it. And what happened was that when Joshua died, um, the people ended up in this cycle of turning away from the living God and turning and putting their trust in idols, the idols of the nations that still dwelled in the land or in the neighbors, neighboring areas. And each time the nation would turn and look to the idols to be their God or to be their trust or to be their hope or to be their salvation, God would afflict Israel with a foreign army, whether it was the Ammonites or the Amorites or whoever it was. He would raise up an army that would come into Israel and conquer them. Kind of like saying, oh, you think that Baal is going to be a great rescuer? Well, let's see how he rescues you from this army. And he doesn't. And then they would cry out, and then they would turn back to the Lord, and the Lord would deliver them, and then after a little while they would forget. And the story of Judges is this, this long cycle of the, God, people, sorry, the people of God uh, turning away from the living God, turning to idols, and then having a foreign army come and conquer them. And the story of Judges, you might remember, ends with Samson being raised up in the days when the Philistines were the armies attacking the people of God. And he never delivers Israel from the Philistines. He begins to, and he has some great battles. Anytime, you know, the Philistines mess with one of Samson's women, he slaps them around, and then he goes back to another woman. That's kind of the story of Samson. Not a great deliverer. And so when Samson dies... The Philistines have not been defeated. He, he destroys their temple in his death, but he hasn't defeated them. 
And so this is the setup for Samuel, is that the people of God have not been delivered by their own deliverers because their faith levels are so low and their unbelief is so high. And so here is Goliath standing there. He's not just a giant. He is a testimony that the people of God have not been trusting in the living God. That's why he's there. They've been turning to other things. They've been turning to idols. That's why he's still alive. Because the people of God have not been believing in their living God. And so what happens is that each day, Goliath comes out and he challenges Israel to send forth a hero to fight him in single combat. The idea being that whoever wins, the other army would would just surrender and be their servants. And I don't know why they do this, because nobody ever does that. Like, even if the, you know, when the Philistines are de- defeated, or when Goliath's killed by David, it's not like they say, well, I guess we're your servants. No, they run away, and then they come back for battle another day. So it really is like a mind game thing. It's an intimidation thing. And Goliath, for Goliath, it really worked. He would come out, and he would defy the ranks of Israel and defy their gods. And verse 11 tells us, when Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were all dismayed and greatly afraid. They came into Goliath's worldview. They came into the worldview of this giant. If we can't fight this giant head on, we just do nothing. We're defeated. Let's just stay on our side of the hill because we can't do anything. And it's weird because they could have thought, why don't we wait till he's asleep and then kill him? Why don't we just wait till, you know, giants aren't very tall when they're lying down. Why don't we send in an assassination squad and just stick him through the belly while he's sleeping? Right? See, I've watched 24. I know how it's done. There are a lot. There's always options when Jack Bauer's around. Sorry, old show. Never watched that show, by the way. But they, they're, they're defeated in their minds because they're in the habit of not trusting in the living God. So when the giant shows up, he can mock them in the morning and mock them in the evening, and they run with it. They, they're stuck. They, they, they accept his worldview. And I know that most of us don't have a nine-foot-tall professional killer in our lives that are after us. But I think this picture of Goliath mocking the Israelites is actually where we find our giants in our life. What is the voice in your life that is there in the morning and there in the evening that says, you can't? You're stuck. You're defeated. You can't go forward. You can't trust God. You can't be free because da 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 Goliath didn't do anything to anybody. He just got up in the morning and he made fun of them and told them that they're already defeated, so you might as well quit. And then he got up in the evening and said, he's already defeated, so you might as well quit. And then he went back and had a good lunch in the morning and then had a good dinner at night and then went to bed and felt like a hero just by mocking, just by being a voice inside of all of their heads. Okay, that's how he defeated them. He, he was just a voice inside their heads. It can be a voice of shame. It can be a voice of discouragement. For me, that's the big one. It's a voice of discouragement. It's new every morning. It can be a voice of anger. It can be a voice of offense. It can be a voice of self-righteousness. It can be all kinds of things. It's just there. And that's your giant. And the situation isn't quite the giant. It's actually that the situation has a voice that speaks to you, lies to you. 
And this went on for a long time. Verse 16 says that um, for 40 days the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. For 40 days. That's a long time. That's a long time. That's a long time. So this was their new normal. This is Israel's new normal. When something bad happens, when we fall into something, when we get discouraged or hurt, it doesn't take long before that becomes our new normal. That becomes what we're willing to put up with. And can you just imagine 40 days? You're a soldier out there, got your soldier gear. You know, you've been to the soldier Amazon, and so you got all the best gear. And uh, you're King Saul, and you got your tent. And you're having a good time. You're out there at camp. You and the boys are playing some card games. All you have to do is put up with getting mocked by Goliath in the morning and getting mocked by Goliath in the evening. But other than that, you know, you can just, you can make a go of this thing. Saul's still got his court going on. He's still got his people around him telling him it's important. That's the situation. The new normal is Goliath's voice keeping us down. Well, God decides to change things. He's already in this story anointed king or David as the new king. He's told Saul, because of your unbelief, your your lineage is not going to persevere. You'll still be king until the day of your death, but your children aren't going to be king after you. I've anointed a new king to reign in your place. He had already anointed David. And David was somewhat associated with Saul's um, entourage because he would play music for Saul when Saul had his evil spirit come upon him. But... The situation was that David's three eldest brothers are part of Saul's army. So they're part of that crew that have been there for 40 days doing a thing, keeping their spears sharp, just in case they need to use it someday. Not today, but someday. And um, David's dad says, well, why don't, why don't David, why don't you take a supp- supply shipment? You can bring some food for the king to honor him. You can bring some food for your brothers to take care of them. Find out how things are going. Report back to me. And David shows up, and he hears Goliath's taunts and boasts, and he gets kind of, like, provoked in his spirit. Like, who is this guy? Doesn't he know he's messing with the living God? Like, I know he's tall. He's probably got size 25 shoes. And that's great. But doesn't he know he's, he's taunting the armies of the living God? Who does this uncircumcised Philistine think he is? Like, he's, he's going hunting with the gun backwards. And when he pulls the trigger, it's going to be bad, but not for whoever he's trying to hurt. That's David's attitude, because he believes there is a living God. He believes that his God, Yahweh, who is the Lord Jesus Christ, is alive and active and, and works through his armies and fights through his armies and fights on behalf of the people who believe in him. So he thinks that Goliath is the dumbest person I have met because he publicly down-talks the living God. He, he doesn't eat pineapples. He eats pineapple grenades for breakfast. And it's only a matter of time. And so he goes to, this arm, to the army and he hears about this stuff and he starts asking around, so what do you get for killing this guy? Because Saul had made a promise that whoever kills Goliath gets to marry one of his daughters, which is a weird way to hook people up. <laughs> and that they also, scripture says that their, his father's house would be free in Israel, essentially meaning that they'd be 
exempt from taxes. Okay? On the other hand, dads, if the bar for somebody marrying one of your daughters is that they had to kill a giant in hand-to-hand combat, at least you would know that they weren't cowards. Just, just wondering. Just thinking out loud. And the daughters could hope that they would be handsome at least. So here's the situation. David shows up and he said, what do you get for killing this guy? And he's going around going, what do you get for killing these guys? And everybody knows that this is a game changer here. Because nobody else is going around, oh man, that sounds great. You get to become royalty. You get to marry a princess. You get to have no taxes. This is a great deal. How, and the undertone of what David's saying is, how come nobody's done this yet? Enter Eliab, which is the first heart that I want to look out in this story. So just to recap, so we've got this scene where this giant is here mocking the people of God and exposing that their faith levels are really low. Amen? That's why he's there. He's a Philistine. God sent the Philistines to show the people of God that they weren't relating to him by faith and that they were trusting in idols. And this Philistine still isn't defeated even after 40 days. David comes full of faith. And this is Eliab's response. It says in verse 28, Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. When you read out loud the word anger, you have to say it like that. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him towards another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. Now, this is an interesting scene here. Okay, we go from David saying, I think I can take this guy to his older brother saying, you're evil. What's going on here? This is is, is a scene where you're invited to to read into this and try to figure out what's going on. How does it go from David saying, how does this guy defy the armies of the living God to an older brother saying, you're pure evil? Well, could it be that Eliab is feeling his unbelief being exposed? Because he's one of the soldiers and he's been there for 40 days And he hasn't done anything but eat the food that's been brought to him. And so his little brother, his little brother, his little brother, if there's anybody in the world who should not have good things ever happen to them, it's your little brother. Older siblings, you know what I'm talking about. His own little brother comes and he's not afraid. And Eliab hates it. And he starts, his brain starts going in multiple different directions at the same time. What have you come down here for? He knows why he came down here. He showed up with all the cheese that you started eating. With whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? Go back to that little job you do, little boy. Go back to those few sheep. Leave the soldiering to us soldiers. I know the presumption and the evil of your heart. You came down to see, I know why you're here. You just want to see people kill each other. You're just here to watch me die. 
That's why you're here. You just want battle. You just want to see people kill. This is just entertainment for you, and you're hoping I'm going to die, and then you can get my inheritance. I know you, David. Okay. Weird things happen when faith walks in the room. Amen. Have you ever been there? I've been there. All of a sudden, you're, you're in the scene. You're, I don't know what to do. And then Dave shows up, and he's like, this is great. Let's face this head on. And you're just like, Dave. <laughs> 6.15 in the morning. Stop being cheerful. Hypothetically speaking, that could happen. But we need to know this. When a giant shows up, like a financial problem or a big move or whatever, uh, God is going to give faith to people for this. They're going to look at this and say, this is a lot smaller than Jesus. And it's going to hit your heart. It could hit your heart. You could start going, you, calls for money. You're just... You're just one of those name it, claim it, health and wealth, gospel, gut. no. Hold on. You got all you care about is built. No. Hold on. Watch out. When faith walks in the room, sometimes unbelief wants to kill it. So that it doesn't have to deal with its un- unbelief. So I was in Rwanda one time, I think it was the first trip. And right before we left, we got shopped out to all these churches to preach. And one of the things that you had to do was have a meal with whoever was hosting you, the pastor that was hosting you after the meal, which is pretty cool. But I was in this room with the pastor. I think this might have actually been the first weekend. And um, I'm speaking to him through the translator, who's just really happy for the food. He hardly had time to translate because he always had something in his mouth. And uh, the pastor says to me, you're really young to be a lead pastor. And my response to him was, yeah, isn't it great? Like at our church, like Dave really loves like raising up guys. And so he keeps being led to and choosing not to be the, the main guy so that other people can do it. And then, isn't this great? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I've got this um, spiritual gift of naivety. I can just, you know, go through life having no clue sometimes. And it's just such a blessing. No clue. And um, he, his response was, um, us us older guys, uh, or was it some, maybe it was, you know, the problem with, with working with the younger people is that they might wreck what we've built. Okay. Think about that statement. The problem with younger people is they might wreck what we've built. So, number one, if you're building something that young people can wreck, it probably isn't the Lord. Number two, if you're afraid that other people are going to wreck what you're building, you probably don't believe in the living God working through yourself or other people. Right? Anybody? And number three... We should actually be wanting the next generation to be doing things that we didn't manage to get done because the only other option is that they do worse than us. I don't actually want my kids to do worse than me. I've done bad enough already, right? So we, you either, by faith in the living God, are wanting to be a David to kill this giant so that your kids don't have to kill them or that when they do have to kill a giant, they're like, well... Let's just go get dad's old sawed off because it worked for the last giant and it'll work for this one. 
or you're an Eliab. You don't want other people to succeed where you haven't had faith. So, careful. Let's be careful. We can search our own hearts and just watch out for that why not me attitude. Because either God can do it and so just trust in him or he doesn't want to do it and why would you want him to do something for you that isn't his plan for your life? And be careful with God using younger people than you. It can be tough. And so I was just meditating on this yesterday and I was thinking, you know what, there's probably somebody up in children's ministry right now that God is calling to preach better than me or lead better than me or pray for people and see them get healed or go farther than me. I want to rejoice in that. I'm going to start right now. I'm going to just be like, God, yes. Okay, yeah, God, yes. God, yes. God, yes. Amen? Let's not be Eliabs. All right, who's the next person we meet? Well, next we meet King Saul in his traveling throne room. Verse 31, when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them to Saul, and he sent for him, meaning David. And David said to Saul, let, not, let no man's heart fail because of him. So David's so gracious. He's like, don't let your heart fail. Now, he knows everybody's heart's already failed because they're still here 40 days later. But he says to the king, don't let, it, don't be, don't let yourself get worried. It's so gracious. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth. And he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, uh, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when he, there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. So don't have beards. Just kidding. If you're a lion, don't have a beard. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord will deliver me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear. He will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with the coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. And then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in the shepherd's pouch, his sling in his hand, and he, his sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Let's stop there. Okay, so here's Saul. Here's King Saul. One of the weird things or the interesting things about Saul is, is that he didn't do anything about, the, about Goliath. And the, th- the thing that is the contrast here is that when we meet Saul earlier on in this book, he is a giant himself. So when Saul is called to be anointed king, he's kind of hiding in the baggage, but they bring him out and he's standing before all the leaders and warriors of Israel. And the Bible says he is already a foot taller, like a head taller than everybody else. So when I give my friend over here a hug, I have to go on my tippy toes just to have my eyes at his Adam's apple, like that tall above everybody else. Saul is Israel's giant. And he he didn't do anything about it. Their giant came out and intimidated their giant. So Saul's supposed to be Israel's giant. And he got intimidated. I think. I want to be somewhat gracious because we don't have all the details and I don't want to show up and get corrected by Jesus when I die. 
Sometimes armies decided for their king that their king wasn't going to go into battle because they said it would be worse for us if you die than if somebody else dies for you, so we're not letting you go. They did that to David when Absalom was attacking and they ran David out of town, and David's like, okay, well, let's go solve this. He's really old by that time, but, and the people just said, nope, the worst thing that can happen right now is you die. That's the worst thing, so we'll go, and if we're defeated, that's fine. So sometimes they do that. We don't have any record of that here. So let me just add a, that's like a modicum of graciousness. But what it looks like is that Saul was content to sit in his tent for those 40 days, offering out incentives for other people to be the giant of Israel when he was the giant. You, how about no taxes? How about my daughter? How about my... And you can just see like, he's just car salesmaning his soldiers what if i throw in free car washes for a year what if i promise to drive you to work each morning you know what do i got to do to make the sale here and then even after david says look i can do this initially saul thinks that paul or sorry that david can't do it because saul's real issue here is that even though he believes that god is real he has conversations with god he's not an atheist even though he believes that god is real he is stuck seeing the world through his eyes that's his problem he's stuck seeing the world through human eyes so when david shows up and says i'm going to take this guy out he says you're too young and it probably doesn't mean he's 10 years old or 12 years old or anything. It probably just means he's like 18. He's, he's not married. Um, the Hebrew word has like a range of over 10 years for what a na'ar can be. But it just, he just means like you're, you're, you're too inexperienced in battle. You're too young. This guy has been a warrior since he was your age. And look, he's much older now. And you haven't, have you been a warrior before? You're too young. You're too inexperienced. He's evaluating David not by his faith, or by his living God, but by what he sees. And so even when Saul comes to the place of, of go for it, David, and it might even be a, you know, we don't have a lot to lose if David goes out there and loses it. It's just some shepherd boy. I lose my, my iPod. I lose the guy who plays music for me when I want to relax, but not the biggest deal. When, when he sends David to do it, he starts loading him down with all of his armor, which David didn't even ask for. But Saul sees things from the human perspective, and he said, you know what, if you're going to battle this guy, you need some armor. Well, here, put this on, and here's a helmet, and here's a sword. And David ends up rejecting it because it's not him. Okay, so it's not that it was too big. The scripture doesn't say his armor was too large. It says he, he tried in vain to go, but he hadn't tested them. He'd never used this stuff before. He was a shepherd boy. He, his armor was just really tanned skin. That was what his armor was when he fought animals like lions and bears. But he'd never, you know, slung a stone wearing scale armor. He'd never dodged a paw swipe with a bronze helmet on. He'd never killed something with a sword, as far as we know. He said he struck him on the head with his stick. And so he didn't, he ends up, what it ends up doing is he, David is rejecting fighting this in a human perspective. I'm, gonna, I'm trusting my living God. He's given me the victory with a stone and a stick before, and that's how it's going to work today. That's the God who's seen me through to this point. And I believe I'll see him do it again. And for us, we can just say, you know what? God is happy to use us as who we are to fight our giants. Because you can stand around going, you know, if I was only a Rob, 
a different Rob, Rob Barron, not this one. I don't think anybody thinks that. If I was only a Rob, then I could face my giant. If I was only a Lisa, then I could face my giant. If I was only a, a Lynn, then for sure that giant would go down. And David's like, my, my living God is my living God, and if he's going to give me the victory, he's going to give me the victory with my stones and my stick, just like he always has. And if God wants to give Calvary Chapel the victory, we get to stay Calvary Chapel. Can I, can I just, moment of truth, if we change our name, I really want the word Calvary in there still somewhere, because we're not called to change. We're called to do what God has been doing more. It's not, we're not reinventing ourselves. We're being ourselves maturing. Amen? So when a guy turns 18, he doesn't give himself a new name, like, because now he can drink or whatever it is. We're just us maturing. Bigger giants. All right. So David, we've already tracked on this before. He's the third heart here. And David, this is one of the high points of his life and his faith. He's just like, you know, my living God has not met something yet that's a difficulty for him, so I'm going to just face him. And he does it by, he's not making this up. When he says, how, how can you have faith that God's going to be with you? He says, because God's been with me. I got, I got my lion skin carpet. I got my bear skin pillow. I got my other lion skin cape. I got my other bear skin hat. I got, I got my stuff. And he probably looked like, he could have looked like quite a weirdo with all the skins of all the animals he'd killed. Davy Crockett of ancient Israel. But that's the thing. And that's why if you want to build your faith and live in God, just look back on what he's done, that you've made it this far. And that's why we sang that song. We will see God do it again. That was David's whole whole point i have been living with the living god for a long time and i have seen him do stuff and i will see him do it again and i've talked about it before and i'll talk about it again we as christians can think every time god does something that was the last one that was the last trick in his bag oh man i spent the last trick trick in god's bag on that ah, and now he's got nothing that was the last bullet in his gun no why couldn't you have had a banana clip or one of those cool drum clips that they used to use in the mobster movies? But David knows the living, the living God never runs out. That's what makes him living. He never runs out of the ability to act and move and hear a prayer. And so David goes and he fights Goliath and first crushes his forehead and then cuts off his head and, and parades it around for a little bit. David, was that overkill? You really need to cut that guy's head off. Well, you need to lift up something to show that you won. Like you're down in the valley and they're all up there. How do you know he's really dead? Well, there's his head and there's his body. Let's, come on, guys, let's fight. All right. Would you bear with me for a few more minutes? I want to take us to a few... Um, few places in the psalms the call of this morning is for us to say i have a living god in jesus christ and i'm going to trust him so and i'm going to face the giants because i have a living god it's not about me i have a god who hears my prayers who's loved me through jesus who forgives my sins and is with me and he actually wants to do stuff in the world this was david's idea why isn't this guy dead yet don't you all know that god wants this guy dead 
He just needs somebody to get out there. And don't we know God wants to do stuff in Steinbeck? He wants to do stuff in Rwanda, which he is doing. He wants to do stuff. All he needs is people to believe that he is the living God and say yes to him instead of sitting in the tents eating the cheese. That's, that's what he needs. And so this is a call for us to say, I have a living God. I'm going to face the giants. We're going to face the giants because we have a God who is alive and loves us and acts in history, in our lives. It's a fact. But I don't want anyone to get discouraged thinking, well, if I'm not a David and I walk into every single situation going, this should be easy, no problems here. If I'm not that kind of person, then I can't do this. Okay? Because the point of having a living God is that he is your helper in every kind of situation. The question is, where are you? And where does getting to the living God involve? Where are you now? And what does it look like to get to God from where you're at? That's the question, okay? So we're going to do a little little pastor moving around business. I don't usually move, ever. And so this is going to be painful for me and painful for you to watch. <clears throat> okay. So this, this cross here, for me, is going to represent the livingness of the living God. The cross on which Jesus died, but from which he came back and is alive. All right? And for David, on that, that moment where he was, comes to bring the food and he sees Goliath is there, it was a pretty simple, straight journey. I'm here. I've killed some bears and some lions. Obviously, facing the giant means killing Goliath. This is simple. I just go from here and I go, Kaya! and it's over. And it's exciting. Okay, not everybody's journey is like that, where it's just kind of going from victory to victory, because we have different places in life. And David had different places in life. So I'm looking at Psalm 22 here, and this is a time in David's life where it didn't sound like he was so ha 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 happy and faith-filled. It was a different kind of faith looking to the living God. And he says this, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Okay, that doesn't sound like tons of faith in the living God, but it is. Why are you so far from saving me from the groan, words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you, you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. And so in this psalm, you can, as you continue to read it, David is in a place where there's just trouble all around him and there's obstacles all around him and it's painful and it's uncomfortable. So the journey for him to connect with his living God begins with complaining that it hasn't happened yet. And so it's kind of like you're, you're, it's not just an easy jump off the stage because you've got the, the bear and the lion already killed. There's more obstacles. Hi, new people. This is going to be awkward for me and you at the same time. And it's like you're over here, and it's just like, I don't see anything but obstacles between me and God, but I'm going to get to him because he's the living God. And if it starts with prayer complaining, I'm going to start with prayer complaining. You're like, God, I can't believe there's all these troubles that you haven't helped with yet, and it's already almost November, and we're still 40 grand behind, but I want you to move. Oh, and you might stumble, and you might even have a problem where you fall down. Oh. And you go down hard because that's the only way you know how to get down. But you get back up. You're like, God, you're my living God. I'm not quitting. And I'm going to keep praying and I'm going to get over these obstacles. And I'm sorry for the visuals, but I got to get going here. And I got to get all the way to my living God because you're alive. And by putting my eyes and my hope on getting to the living God, look what I passed over here. Amen. Okay, different situation here. That's kind of like outward obstacle giants. Sometimes the biggest giant is in your heart. Guilt and shame. And I'm turning to Psalm 51 where David is facing the giant of his own actions where he has 
had his friend and bodyguard assassinated because he slept with his wife and impregnated her. And God confronts him on it, Psalm 51, and the issue is he's just guilty and deserves to die. That's his giant. And so he turns to his living God. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And he goes on from there just saying, God, I need you to forgive me. And then you can use me. I need you to wash me clean. Because if you don't wash me clean, I can't wash myself clean. Create in me a clean heart of God. Renew a right spirit in me. And he goes on to, to pray. And sometimes the biggest obstacles are our own failures. Oh, far back. And so it's not something we need to climb over, but we actually need to humble ourselves. We need to get low, like really low. And sometimes in order to get to your living God, you've got to get humble. You've got to humble yourself. You've got to get down. Oh, it's going to be terrible. You've got to get so low. You're going to say, I know I'm looking like an idiot right now, and I have no clue whose boots those are. I'm just crawling beside. But I've got to confess my sin. I've got to stay low because the Word of God says that if you lower yourself, he will raise you up. If you humble yourself and you say, I'm a sinner and I have sinned, but God, I'm looking to you. I'm going to get to the God who actually does forgive every kind of sin and takes worthless sinners and makes them treasured children. And I need that. I need to be your treasured child. I need to have a hope and a future so I can't just hide. And you just get so low. And this is not comfortable or pleasant. And I know the person I'm right behind is already feeling awkward. But you know what? I'm going for it. Because sometimes confessing your sin is so awkward for you and the other person. But you need to be set free. So you just keep going and sometimes you're stuck. Oh, sometimes people don't help by stepping on you. You just I can't be offended, though. I will have my revenge, but I won't be offended. And I'm going to keep going. This is a lot easier when you push a little bit. Okay, we can do this. Oh, God, you won't forsake me. you got to get low sometimes. To get to your living God and He gives you strength and you push through a little bit. Uh, uh, uh. Sorry for that. Okay. Because it isn't always easy. That, that was even more uncomfortable than the first time. I'm trying to prove a point here. You can be in the worst place. In your journey to, to walk with the living God. Because I wasn't alone under there. It's not like Jesus waits up here at the front. He's with me every second under the chairs. Just He wants me to bring me to the place where he wants me to be. In faith. But all I'm trying to say here is that don't count yourself out if you don't feel encouraged. Your journey walking with the living God can start wherever it is. You just end up in the same place of faith in Him. Amen? I think it's time for a magic slope. All right. Maybe the team can come up and we can just pray. Why don't we stand together? You know, we've got situations and giants as a church. I know you've got some as individuals. Why don't we just stand and just admit 
hands in the air. God, you are the living God. Father, you are the living God. You are alive, full of love towards your people, in control, working things out to your purpose, with good intentions towards us in Christ. You're alive, loving us. Jesus Christ, you are alive. You were dead to put an end to our guilt. And you live to pray for us, to work for us, to lead us, to love us. And you will never sleep until all of us are home. Holy Spirit, you are the living God. Here with us. You speak to our minds. You speak to our consciences. You apply God's word to us. You empower us to do things we could never do. You set us free from things we could never free ourselves from. So that we would praise Jesus. And so God, would you live amongst us? Lord, whether we are full of faith and praise God when people are full of faith. Or God, whether we're discouraged because of obstacles. Or God, whether we feel so slimed and it's time to walk the road of humility. Be our living God.